Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on our heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we would be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here, in this body, or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you know that Memorial Day started about 97 miles from this location as Decoration Day after the American Civil War of 1868? The Grand Army of the Republic, an organization of Union veterans founded in Decatur, Illinois, established it for a time for the nation to decorate the graves of the Union war dead with flowers. The name changed to Memorial Day around 1882. Eventually, after so many competing days to remember those who had fallen in battle while serving our country, it became a federal holiday in the 1960s. It's a day when some folks normally would go to stores for sales, while others go to cemeteries to remember those who have gone on from this life, especially those whose lives were claimed as they served their country. I remember doing that with my grandmother as a kid. We would head out to place flowers on graves before coming home to watch the televised sound of speeding cars at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I didn't think much about it at the time other than to know that it wasn't terribly exciting for me as a child. I had no sense of the importance of the day at that point. These folks who have gone on from this life didn't go on to nothing there's something that awaits all of us when this life is over. And there's one of the reasons why we as a church strive to equip people with both firm roots and strong wings. To quote the newly 60-year-old Bono, we're all packing a suitcase for a place none of us has been, a place that has to be believed to be seen. And that leads to our first lesson this morning, and that's this. The chances that we'll die someday are pretty significant. 
the chances that we'll die someday are pretty significant. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, we'll have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long for the day when we put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. I played in the orchestra back when I was in school. I played upright bass from eighth grade until I graduated high school. And in high school, I got a stand partner, and he was fairly dramatic. Every time something went wrong, he'd shout out, we're all going to die. And although under most of the circumstances, like music falling off the stand didn't merit that kind of strong declaration, the, the phrase did stick in my head. He acted with a little exaggeration, but what he said is nonetheless true. We're all going to die. Someday. I'd only read a couple of exceptions to that rule in my life. Otherwise, the person-to-death ratio hangs out at pretty close to one-to-one. Most of us really don't like to face that reality. As a culture, we like to live in denial of our own mortality. We used to have bodies lie in state in front rooms so that people could stop by our homes for visitations. We'd have, some, have to come face to face with the reality of death. But now many of us can go a long time living in denial until our lives are interrupted by tragedy. And right now our lives seem to be facing a fairly significant interruption that's only deepening the grief of this time. But even though death is a reality that we'd all face, it is not the last word. That leads to our second lesson this morning. God will make all things brand new. God will make all things brand new. For we will not be spirits without bodies, but we will put on new heavenly bodies. Our dying bodies make us groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and have no bodies at all. We want to slip into our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by everlasting life. Several Sundays ago, back on March 8th, I talked about the very first accident I got into while I was driving. It was my 1977 Oldsmobile Cutlass, and I was going to make a left turn following a couple of people who had gone in front of me, and I wasn't paying as close enough attention to the oncoming traffic, and I got slammed in the front right side of my vehicle, and it did some significant damage. Even though it was a tank of a car, it caused some, some significant damage, leaving the Oldsmobile undrivable. The point on March 8th was that I survived, everybody was safe and okay, and you know that was all helpful and good. But the rest of the story is what happened to the car. The Oldsmobile looked like it was totaled. It was undrivable. It had some significant body damage. But before the accident, the car had a lot of rust, oxidation, and faint, faded paint well before I got into that fender bender. And so my family sent it off to a family friend for some repair. The car was gone for some time, but when I got it back, it was not what I expected. The damage to the vehicle wasn't just pounded out and patched. The person who did the repair job welded in new panels, painted the entire vehicle, and even replaced the original pinstriping to like new condition. If it weren't for the aged vinyl on the top, that 20-year-old car would have looked nearly new. See, God doesn't just patch our holes. God doesn't just pound out some of the dents that we've taken on. Author C.S. Lewis likens the perfecting work of God to a dentist in some ways. Lewis writes, let me explain. When I was a child, I, I often had toothache, and I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for the night and let me sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not until the pain 
became very bad. And the reason I didn't go was this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew if they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they took an L. See, when we bring Jesus into the equation of our lives, he doesn't just numb our pains. He completely transforms. Jesus will perfect us to the extent that we allow in this life and entirely in the next We won't just look as good as new except for some worn-out vinyl. Jesus will make us brand new. Our third lesson this morning is this. A spirit-filled heart and an empty tomb make us certain. A spirit-filled heart and an empty tomb make make us certain. God himself has prepared us for this as a guarantee he has given us by his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. That's why we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these bodies, for then we will be at home in the Lord. What's the benefit of this kind of certainty, this kind of faith? This kind of certainty makes us more aware that we are loved, and so we're less susceptible to fear. It makes us mindful that this life is a gift, and it's to be lived in light of the next life. This certainty helps us to spend our time on earth with great purpose that fills us with joy and brings others into the light of life. It brings us deeper into the presence of God until it's the presence of God that defines us. It takes the sting and fear we face at about the end of this life and transformed it into a chance to hold on to hope. It's the power of restoration and light, even in the darkest times. So how can we know? How can we have this certainty? Two assurances are shared with us here. The first is that the Holy Spirit lives in believers and provides us with assurances about who we are and who we're becoming. It's the power God plants inside of us to remind us that we are loved, that we're healing, that we're precious and sent and secured eternally by the unwavering hand of God. It's a voice that we nurture through the time that we spend in Scripture or lingering in prayer by throwing ourselves into the act of worship and by serving courageously and being in fellowship with other believers who encourage that in us. It corrects us when we're wrong, encourages us when we're beat down, and reminds us that we are children of God and it empowers us to act like it. And we have this gift of the Holy Spirit because Jesus lived, died, and rose again, leaving behind a tomb filled with nothing but grave clothes and a message that even death cannot keep God down. The empty tomb isn't just something we think about at Easter. It's a future for every one of us who has Jesus Christ living within us. That's the deepest of our roots and the mightiest of our wings. Our fourth lesson this morning is this. Only God can judge, and God will. Only God can judge and God will. So our aim is to please him always, whether we're here in this body or away from this body. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in our bodies. I've seen a lot of people who get called out for doing foolish things respond with, Only God can judge me. That's a fact. That's a fact. 
And that fact should rattle us to our bones. I'm going to walk through a little bit of what the Bible says about that. There's more to it, and I can't exhaust the topic this morning, but we'll walk through some of the major broad-stroke aspects of this. First, I believe the answer to the question, what did you do with Jesus of Nazareth, is the most important thing we'll answer on this earth. The, question, the answer to the question of what did you do with, the, with Jesus of Nazareth is the most important thing we'll answer on this earth. I believe putting trust in Jesus Christ is the best thing we can ever be a part of. We don't know exactly what's going to be on the other side of this life, but there are some things that we can trust. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you openly declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When he was known as Saul, the man who wrote these words to the words to the church, didn't believe that at all, and he persecuted people who believed it. But it was powerful enough that he experienced it for himself, and it totally transformed his life and his name. Have you declared with your words and actions that Jesus has taken control of your life? Do you trust and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? That's the standard. It's not our behaviors or our habits. It's proclaiming Jesus as Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead. It's not about going to church, which is good right now, but when it's possible, Christian people do attend worship. It's not about our behavior, although Christian people probably should behave differently from people who are not professing faith. It's not that we're better than anyone else, because we're not. Our eternal destination, our salvation, comes from making Jesus Lord of our lives and proclaiming it with our mouths and trusting in our hearts. When we do that, we get a brand new wardrobe. We suddenly look like Jesus in the eyes of God. It fits poorly at first, but Christians grow into it. If we don't trust in Jesus, we're still clothed in our brokenness, in our wounds, in our sin. That's the first level of sorting. Those clothed in the righteousness of Christ will enter into new life. And once we're given new life through Christ, we have this really important teaching that Jesus gave to us in Matthew chapter 7. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if we condemn people based on their manners, if we don't have the best manners of anyone, we're judged according to that standard. If we condemn people because they're lustful, we'd, never, we'd better never have entertained an impure thought because then we'd be judged by the height of that standard. If we judge people and condemn them because they're hypocritical, we've just added ourselves to their numbers. The standard we use to judge others is the standard that will be used ultimately to measure us. It doesn't mean that we can't discern when something is wrong. It doesn't mean that we tolerate every kind of attitude or behavior. It just means that we don't have the authority to condemn anyone. And if we do, it's only used against us as a measure and a standard later. And we don't have forever to make these great choices in life either. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. First, we never know how long we have to live, and there's no reason to wait to make a right choice. 
I appreciate how C.S. Lewis describes those who have made a choice to live separately from God and who are experiencing that in eternity. He says, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful, rebels to the end, that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. The trouble is, once this life is over, the choice has been made. We've either chosen eternity with Jesus or we've chosen to live eternity apart from God. So what happens when we choose eternity apart from God? Jesus gives us many descriptions of outer darkness or the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, but there's a terrifying passage in Revelation chapter 20. The John, the revelator, says he saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's where our images of hellfire come from. Those who don't just dismiss these images of eternal separation as scare tactics may wonder... Is this a literal fire or a figurative fire? I don't think it matters. It's no place to be, and neither one sounds terribly pleasant. But what of those who do go on to eternity with God? Those whose names are written in the book of life through their trust in Christ. Revelation chapter 21 gives us a different image. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling places is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God. And they will be my children. This is how we want to be sent home. In our wisdom, families, and mission, ultimately, it's all for God's glory and for eternity's sake. If we're prepared to be sent home someday to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant, then we do all Christ empowers us to do to make sure that when we go, we get to go with others that we've prayed for, invited, and taught, right up until that point when God takes us home. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, as the church equips your people, we pray that we're not just equipping people for the temporal tasks of giving comfort and joy in this life, The light and love we get to share here is no small thing, but it's 
a blink of an eye compared to eternity. You have promised us through Jesus Christ that a place is being prepared for us, that where he goes, we will be also. And Lord, just as a place is being prepared for us, prepare us for that place. Help us to live now as citizens of your eternal kingdom, to love, to be courageous, to offer grace, to share good news as freely as it's been given to us. We thank you for this incredible gift, for the gift of Jesus Christ who makes it possible, and for the opportunity to know your presence now and through eternity. We offer all of this in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.